0: This on? Nope. One second. We're going to give it one second. Now let's just start screaming. Yep. Check one, two, three, four. So listen up. (laughs) Welcome. Uh, Here, I'll get a handheld. Thank you. I'll keep it on for a minute, Raj, and then if it starts working, great. Good morning. Welcome to Redemption Church. How are you doing? Excellent. Great. My name is Vince. I'm one of the pastors here. Delighted to be with y'all. Open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. We're going to wrap up our Advent series today. If you are not familiar with Advent, Advent simply means the coming or the arrival of something. Uh, During this season, we we celebrate the arrival of Jesus, who came to this earth uh, just over 2,000 years ago uh, to come to be born uh, of a virgin, Mary, born into this craziness that is our world, uh, lives His life perfectly, dies a death on a cross for the sins of the world, and to inaugurate the coming of His kingdom, uh, is resurrected on the third day that in His resurrection new life could be granted to all those who follow him. And so um, this story is started off by what we've been looking at uh, together over the last handful of weeks. What churches across really the world have spent time trying to unpack is the story of the birth of Christ in such a way that, especially for many of us who've been in church for a while, it's like, how do you look at the story afresh and anew? Uh, and so what we tried to do is look at Mary's Magnificate, which is this kind of hymn or song of praise that she breaks out into in the middle of the streets just because she's so excited and filled with the joy of the Lord about her about to give birth to God, right? That's essentially the story, and we're wrapping that up today. The whole hope of the series is that we would become a more joyous and joy-filled people, and that would be evident... Not just internally in what we could experience and what we'd know about ourselves, but it would just kind of begin to seep out of us as well, right? Like, it would, like people around us would just start asking weird questions like, why are you smiling, right? Like th- this is not a situation that seems like joy should be present, but it's there, okay? Uh, one of the things that we've kind of, as we've talked to people about the series over the last few weeks, that I wanted to really hit on on the start here was to reiterate what the difference and the beauty of what joy is, That joy is this gift from God that transcends circumstance, right? So we're not talking happiness. And so sometimes we've had some dialogues and just warning, we're there? Yep, one, two, no, we're not there. Is it on? Did I turn it on? I did, yep. So um, so it transcends experience. It transcends the circumstance. That joy is available to us regardless of the highs and the lows, the valleys and the mountaintops. Like that's just a reality, as a gift to us. So what does it mean for us to experience that type of joy? So one of the stories I started thinking about this week, is there anyone in here that played high school sports? Just a quick raise of hands. A good amount of us, right? Uh, high school sports get pretty competitive. If you're in high school and you're playing a sport, you kind of think it's like the central thing of life, and if it fails or you lose, your whole life is a failure, right? And so maybe some of you, maybe that's just me, and I'm just way too competitive. That's what it is. But, um, but I remember what would happen is uh, football, senior year, we lose like eight games. Like we were just terrible, right? Um, and we would lose a game, and you'd be on the bus going back to school, and, uh, and I would just kind of be happy, Like, I just am kind of a happy-go-lucky person. Uh, And everyone's looking at me like, why are you smiling? We just lost. I'm like, because it's high school, bro. That's why. And here's why I tell that story. There's this thought that what we're talking about up here is trying to minimize the circumstance so that then you can be happy or joyful. And that's not what joy is. Joy isn't, well, let me look at this thing. Oh, there we are. Might be my life right now. And even in the midst of that, there's this gift that God seems to say, I've given this to you that you might have it regardless. And so what we've been trying to do is how do we capture that? Like, how do we grab hold of something that, man, in a life of chaos, in a life of being blown with the wind, are we able to say, no, but there is joy in the Lord, right? And so, so that's been the chief aim of us this series. And so we wrap that up today And so um, let me read Mary's Magnificat this last time. I'm going to read the whole section here. You just heard it from Danielle, who that was Danielle's first time reading scripture. She just killed it, and she did that on a fly. Thank you, Danielle. Um, Let me read it one last time, uh, and then we'll jump into today's specifics. So verse 49 says this, For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Verse 54, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Verses 54 and 55 is where we focus today, but by quick way of recap, week one was those who fear or live in this kind of awe and reverence and presence of God rejoice because they're shown mercy. Week two, those of humble estate rejoice because they'll be exalted. Last week, those who hunger rejoice because they'll be filled. We had these three- Three main ideas in the midst of that that in all of this like as crazy as it sounds that hunger was a blessing right but that excess was actually a curse and that Jesus in the midst of it was our fill and so how do we navigate all of this in a season of consumption and buying and self-centeredness is saying God in this story seems to be crafting something completely upside down from what the culture says should make you happy this season okay everything that's out there says, well, you should be happy this season because you'll be able to gather more stuff for yourself, right? You'll be able to focus on on you a bit. Bye, 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 et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so we saw for the first few weeks this kind of pushback against these ideals that Mary sings about that maybe our culture isn't super high on. Fear and awe being replaced with strength and self-sufficiency. Humility replaced with pride and self-centeredness. Hunger replaced with gluttony and excess. And today is pretty similar. We're going to talk about kind of two main ideas. The first one being that, hear me, um, you belong, okay, um, and it's okay to ask for help. Okay, These, these are kind of the two, the two ideas. Now, what's interesting about this um, is I think we love this first one and we dislike the second, but I don't think we do either really well. So, so I think it's in us to say, no, I, I want to belong, like I, I, want, I want to belong to the people that, uh, I, you know, I live life with, I work with, I go to church with, something like that. Uh, I want to have that, um, but how well do we actually believe that about ourselves, that we actually do, uh, and what, do we take the right steps to kind of enter into that? And then the second half is, do we actually believe that we can ask for help? And that actually being helped is a good thing. And these ideas, I would also, I would all say to you, um, I don't think our culture loves. Okay. For me, there's a lot of idols out there. Right? There's a lot of things that say like this. This is asking for your time, your talent, your affection, your life. This is what you should swear allegiance to. Um, the two that I think rule the day, that are like the chief idols of our day I think are individualism and humanism and I think when you've married the two like our culture has we've really created a significantly unhealthy paradigm with which for us to exist what I mean by that individual individualism plus humanism is you are the center most important most primary thing in the world and you're also the answer to the world at the same time okay hear me there is no possible way you or I can sit up underneath the weight of that burden. You are the most primary, most important thing in the world, and at the same time, you're responsible to be the answer for its ails. That's just a weight that, man, like we... Maybe you can, I cannot sit under, and daily I try in futility. Because... That's the air you and I have breathed our entire lives. This is the type of person you're supposed to be. Individualistic, we focus on self, we take care of self, we think self first. We're of primary importance before and beyond all people and things. And it's the air we breathe, it shapes us to our core. And so we begin, and hear me, it's not... It's not that that has zero truth, it's that that has become an idol, right? It's become the chief end is, how do I get mine? So then when you begin to look at the slogans and the commercials of the world, they all say, do this for you, right? Have it your way. It's always, you constantly, if you just, and if you just watch, like we're going to get the Super Bowl here in a couple months, right? Go Saints. Um, And uh, no, we don't like the Patriots. Where's Matt? I'm just kidding, Matt. I love you, bro. So, um. And so in the midst of that, you're going to see all these commercials. I'd love for you just to do this exercise. Or maybe you're just going to go home and, and watch some TV tonight or whatever. You get this less with Netflix now because you don't got to watch commercials. But if you actually, there's this thing called TV, right, and cable. And they have commercials, right, and you got to watch these things. And so if you watch them, just start to tally down how much are about your life and how to make your life better and we've said this often here, but I'll repeat it one more time. The, the, the whole idea of a commercial is to make you think your life is not as good as it is, so you need to get to a certain place. They craft that vision for you, and then they offer you the product that'll get you there, right? Your life is terrible. It should look like this. Here's the product that achieves where we think you should be. And you're like, oh, yeah, of course I need another insert your random thing. Like, I need this toothbrush instead of the one that people have been using for 400 years. But that's fine, okay? So in the midst of all of this... This focus on self is then married to this belief that human beings are the answer to the world. And so it's not just focus on you, but then there's this contradictory message that says, put all the focus on you, but then you need to go and forgive and heal and take care of the world. But when you tell a whole population that the world revolves around them it doesn't add up to and equal to, well then let's all rally together and care for the world's problems. It says, do what's best for you. It means vote what's best for you. It means pay or be generous when it's best for you. It means uh, be kind to the stranger when it's best for you. It means don't open unless it's best for you. Like, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. The whole thing is do what's best for you. That doesn't lead towards an answer and a healing of the brokenness of our world. Now, you might start thinking, well, maybe then the opposites are the answer. And and hear me, collectivism and theism are not the answers either. It's not that we're supposed to have an idol of the other ones. Like, this primary importance is just on the collective whole and not on the individual. The Bible's very clear that there's, no, there's this balance that's struck between the two, this, this, even this idea of theism. You oftentimes get this idea, okay, well, that means God's going to take care of it, and so we can divorce our responsibility to love our neighbor and to serve them in such a way as we've seen Christ. And so we, we've just kind of jettisoned these things. And all of this I say to you because I think it has ripped joy from being a possibility for the people of God. Because we've become so tied to this belief that it's all about me. And this burden that I need to fix all this stuff out there amidst contradictory ideas. So, that being said, verse 54, one more time. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. So, so. Let's just sit for a moment, if we can remember, where Mary is at in this story. She was living her life, and out of nowhere, an angel shows up and says, hey, I'm going to put, or God is going to put himself in you, okay? And you will be, uh, you will give birth to Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, the Son of God. Her whole world turned upside down, circumstance an absolute mess, Who knows what people are saying, and what she's doing is she's running into the streets to sing. She's running into the streets to celebrate and declare that this whole thing seems to be backwards. Now for us, what does that look like? I think we have a hard time approaching it because we tend to be people of what we talked about, but then also people of the moment. Now what you notice what Mary does here at the end of verse 55 is she hearkens her joy and attaches it to history and to the story of God. So so her joy in the moment, it's, it's not just rooted in that moment, right? It's not just rooted in the moment where the angel came and told her this amazing news. The good news, the joy that exudes from Mary, hearkens back to a story that goes back to Father Abraham. Because what she looks back on and sees is that God has remained and is continuously faithful to his people. And so let's start in Genesis. In Genesis, He calls God calls Abraham to say, hey, listen, I'm going to make of you a great nation. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to care for you, that you would be a blessing to the world. He draws these people together, and you see him helping and forming. The first major piece of help is he takes a barren woman and allows her to have a child. You fast forward to the Exodus story, and you get the people of God trapped in slavery in Israel. God delivers them and saves them, provides for them into the wilderness from Exodus to Deuteronomy. You get to the book of Joshua. They enter into a promised land given to them, though they did not deserve it. Their victories are only won because He grants them victory. You move to judges, a rebellious people in a cycle, constantly deciding that they want to leave God behind, but God continually saves and delivers them over and over and over again. You move into kings, even though God's like, I am your king, He still grants them that good gift because He wants to bless His people. Even in the midst of the rebellion of the kings, He sustains a remnant of people even amidst exile. In exile, there's a king of the Babylonians, empire that says to him, no, of course you can go back, rebuild your temple, rebuild your city walls in Ezra Nehemiah. Throughout the history of the story of God, God has been faithful to his people and he's helped them. So Mary now, just live in her life as you are, as I am, When everything seems to be going a different direction than she ever could have expected. When life seemed to be filled with tumult and craziness. Her joy doesn't just exude because she forces herself to think it's a good situation. She roots herself in who is my God? She roots herself in the story and the faithfulness and the work of God throughout history for a people that belong and have asked for help. And so the importance for us is that, man, if we want to be that joy-filled people, if we want to have an opportunity to grasp onto that, these last two things we'll talk about are of primary importance. One, you belong, and two, you can ask for help. This is a joyful, freeing thing for us. Because in midst of all the isms that are out there, the cultural things that say this is how you should live your life, the Bible says it's not about any of those. It's about something different. There's a way that the Bible that God has so called and formed his people, those that love and follow Jesus, to understand their place in the world and their place amongst the rest of humanity. And so would you turn your Bibles to First Corinthians chapter 12, We'll spend most of the rest of our time there. <clears throat> First Corinthians 12, a letter from Paul to the church in Corinth. A church wrought with division, wrought with kind of fighting and quarreling. And he gives them this vision for what the body of Christ, what the people of Christ, the people of God are to look like. And I tell you, it transcends, it defeats, it tops, it's better than any of the other ways you would seek to describe the way we're supposed to live. So pick it up in verse 12. It says this. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand and not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the ear should say, because I'm not the eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker and dispensable, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there be no division in the body, but the members may have the same care for one another, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Hear me. That's how we describe us. And, and, right, and, and let me be very clear. When I say us, I, I do mean Christians. And I do understand there's some of you here that you don't identify there. That's not what you would call yourself. Um, and so my, my hope for you is that you would hear, like, this is who the church is supposed to be. Right? Um, and the implications of that is who, is who we're supposed to be, and it's who I want to call you into. It's what I want to invite you to be part of. I, 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 we're, too often, and I think that's where we started, we, we can look like individualistic, and we can look like we know everything, and, and all these ideas. What I'm trying to say is, this: if you're here and you're not a Christian, this is what I want to invite you into. When Christ came here and was born and lived and died and rose, It was to invite you into this type of community, this type of people, okay? So he gives this metaphor of the body, and I think it directly and so helpfully for us, and especially in this season, helps us to address these two ideas. I don't belong, and I don't want to ask for help. The first one, I don't belong, right? I don't don't belong because I look different, or I don't belong because I act different, okay? You're supposed to, y'all. Like you're supposed to look different. You're not supposed to dress the same. You're not supposed to look the same. You're not supposed to do your hair the same. You're not supposed to be the same. You're not supposed to act the same. You're not the same. What we get is this beautiful vision for what this is supposed to be. That in the midst of it all, if we're all supposed to be the same, that's this great, he's like, look, if the whole body was an eye, what use would there be for anything else? And also, that's just a funny image. Like, what use if it was just this, right? And then there's just the practical realities, like, look to your neighbor, like, literally look to your neighbor, find a part, like, look at their nose, and then look at their left ankle, right? Do they look the same? This is obvious, no. Do they do the same function in life? No, they don't, and they're not supposed to. Paul's trying to drive at the Corinthian church. It's like you guys are trying to look around and you're comparing and contrasting. This person doesn't do this and they don't look this way, don't act like that. Well, we're supposed to be different, y'all. There's beauty in the diversity of the people of God in every shape and every color, every background and every action as submitted unto the lordship of Jesus. And so if you're here, and that's you're like, ah, I don't know if I belong here, or I don't know if I belong in God's kingdom, I don't know if God wants me because of the way I look, or, or the way, I, like, I just don't fit in, and no, hear me, you're not supposed to fit in, if fit in means look like everybody else. The next one is, um, I don't belong because I'm not as important as this person, Right? I don't belong there because, I mean, that, I'm not as important as that person. That person, man, they're on stage, they've got to do this, they've got to do that. I mean, that, that person's really important. They do, they do great things for the kingdom of God. So I don't really belong there, you know. Notice, notice the text. It, every part of the body is equally valuable. Why? Because it creates the body. That, that without a piece of it, you're not the whole body. But there's something lacking without your presence. Uh, that's the whole idea. There was this, and I've, it's been a while since I shared this story, so I think I'll share it again, because there's so many new folks that are always coming in and out of the church, stuff like that. But I remember being in college and hearing a sermon on this very passage, and the guy's crescendo the whole moment, like he's just building up to it and building up to it, and some of you all know where this is going, but just building up to the crescendo of his sermon, and the whole final thing he says was, don't be the butt, right? Like that, that one, I kid you not, like don't be the butt. And I'm, I, it took everything in me, not to be like, no, no, be the butt. Like, if you're the butt, please be the butt, right? Because the whole point of the passage is, there's no more important part. And so to come in and say, like, no, 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 like, don't be this one thing, goes in the flat in the face of what Paul's trying to do here. It creates the divides that we've created in our churches and amongst the people that there's all-star Christians, that there's varsity, there's junior varsity, there's frosh, right? You just got in, right? You I mean, the varsity people, they, they, you know, they mess around with your lockers, that kind of thing. We, we've created tears in this, and so hear me, when people come into the church, they see that stuff. I'm like, that's not this, that's not winsome. That's not attractive. That's the, what the world does. And they do it funner than we do, more fun than we do, right? Right? Like, so it, it's like, okay, wh- why get something that's the copycat of the world but with restrictions? So we, we have to think about that. If you're here and that's something you thought about the church and about the people of God, they're not important enough. You belong. The next one, um, I, I don't belong because, well, I, I'm not good as at something compared to the other people. I'm lesser than. So it, it's not just this internal, I don't feel as important. It's, it's literally, I'm not as good as, at things as other people. And so, so you, you get this, and it happens in, in different settings. mean, not like a moment like Sundays. Okay, well, I can come here. What am I going to really do to prove that I'm better at something or whatever? But you get into these other pockets, and it's this moment of like, well, they're all really good at this thing, and I'm, I'm not very good at it. And, and I'm not talking like about like fantasy football, right? I'm talking about like, like oh, I, I'm not as good at being a Christian. I'm not as loving as that person. Let me tell you, yes, you are, because that person ain't that loving. Because C- we're all kind of a mess, and that's a beautiful and good thing because it draws us to Jesus, who's not. Okay, so so in the midst of, again, so if you come and say, "Well, I, I don't measure up to, the, to this group, to these people, to that thing," and so I have to distance myself. I don't belong there. I shouldn't go there. And um, and that's just not true. Okay. It, it it's just not. It's just not true. Um. The reason why this falls through is because of, I would say it's because of a lie. Now, it's either a lie believed on behalf of those who would feel that they don't belong, or it's a lie but believed by those who were on the inside that those on the outside don't belong. One way or another, if this is who we're supposed to be in the church, there's some type of deception going on. I fear, too much of it is as a church, and I'm not. This is not redemption. It's just as the people of God, we have so created a culture that others, people here in our spaces, it's just like, well, yeah, you're different. You look different. You act different. And if you just stop looking and acting differently than me, then you can start coming around. That's not the church. Okay, that, that's not who we're called to be. Now, there might be, and I get it, there's some of us, there's sitting there, well, okay, well, what about like just the pursuit of holiness and like we stay away from sin and, and yes, that, that's all part of the conversation, absolutely part of the conversation. So so don't hear this is like this license to never worry about sinning again. Like, it's not that big a deal. We're fine with it. Just come in. All are welcome. No problem. That's not what this conversation is. It's this realization of Jesus is the one that brings about holiness and justification. Jesus is the one of which Mary now sings and proclaims. Why? Because it's his faithfulness, not ours. So if you're here on one end of it and, and you've, you've just, man, you, you just don't feel like you belong, and that could be either here at this church or just to the church or just in general to, like, ah, do I belong to God? The answer is absolutely yes, if you know and love Jesus. And he is the Lord of your life whom you seek to follow every day. Th- that's it. The rest of this stuff, that, that's stuff that we navigate And honestly, it's stuff that we enjoy about each other is that we look weird and different. The other half of this coin is that I don't need help piece. And I'm just going to be brutally honest with you. I am an absolute, I am terrible at this. So everything I say is just because I think the Bible says it, not because I'm good at it. Okay? Um, I really struggle to ask for help. And it's, all, and it's all rooted in a ton of random things that'll kind of come out even as I share some of this stuff. But you often hear, I don't need help because, well, I don't have any problems, okay? First of all, ding, ding, good for you, okay? Uh, <laughs> it's perfect time. Thanks, we orchestrated that. Um, I don't have any problems, right? Uh, yes, you do, okay? Okay. Um, you just drive your car forgetting there's blind spots. Okay. Uh, you, you drive your car without putting your head over your shoulder. That's what that is. That's all that is. I don't have problems means you haven't done this or you haven't just asked the person closest to you, hey, what's going on in your life? Because I tell you, they'll tell you, okay? And it's the best possible thing they could do for you as well. Okay. I don't need help because I don't have problems. Yes, you do. Let me just dispel down quickly. The next one is um, I don't need help because I can I can do it on my own. Okay. Um, well obvious one is maybe something, sure. No, like obviously, there's tasks that we can complete in life. This life is not meant to be lived that way, church. It's just not. What Paul offers the church here with this metaphor is to say, like, you no, know, the body needs each other. What what right does it say? Like, what right does the foot have to say to the hand because I'm not a hand? Like the whole thing, like what right do we have to tell the other people, I don't need you? When the entire movement of the Bible, and especially honed in here, says, No, you absolutely need each other. Like you absolutely need each other. The whole it's just me and Jesus thing, that's not in the Bible, that's in Western Christianity. That's been syncretized to individualism. Me and Jesus thing, that's great. I'm glad you and Jesus have that, and you should have that, but you need to bring in the rest of the body. Because right now, you're just a weird hand walking around with Jesus, okay? And keep that image. Next time you're like, oh, I don't need Christian friends, you're like, just picture your face on my hand walking around with bearded Jesus sitting on top of you and be like, that looks funny. I'm going to start getting some community around me because I cannot do this life by myself. You just can't. The hardest part is the reality of how many times, and I don't, this is not a, you shouldn't have done it this way thing, but it's how many times it breaks my heart because there's been this gift of community given to us as individuals and as people, we've said no until Everything has gone to absolute not good things. Life is in shams, sham, in, in a sham, that's, what do you get what I'm saying? Shambles, that's the word, there's another, there's another syllable. So in shambles, and then you're like, well, let me go talk to someone about it. And how many times do we sit with people whom we love dearly? It's like, hey, actually, the problem started three years ago. The problem started six months ago. It's like, bro, like, come, I want to be with you in that. The people of God want to be with you in that. We want to be present in the time of trouble and of strife and of pain and of suffering, of hurting and of sorrow. There was a um, former pastor uh, of mine in Verity's back in California, the church we met at. And he got uh, started getting really bad headaches, fever, went to the hospital, Was diagn- uh, they had to run more tests, was diagnosed with acute leukemia on a Saturday, and then he died the following Friday, okay? Um, and so just, just rocked our church out there. He was survived by his wife and two kids, and I'll never forget that Sunday after he died, his family was at church with us, and we just had them up there to pray, just with, uh, with his wife. And, uh, and it was highly emotional. And I remember his, his sweet daughter asked if she could say something, and she came up, uh, and she grabbed the microphone from her mom. I'll, like, rehearsed this a few times to make sure I didn't cry. Uh, and she gave advice to everyone that was there. And her advice was, she said, my daddy always told me that when life is hard that you run to the church. Um, and the reason why that makes me emotional is because I so I so want that to be something that is known and believed. And, and, and I'm not the pastor. Anthony's not the pastor. We're not leaders at other churches so I'll just say it Here um, we are by far not perfect. We sin frequently. We make terrible decisions all the time. I, mean, all, I mean, every once in a while. Uh, we're trying to, you're like, I'm never coming to you. <laughs> um, if there is hardship, if there is pain, if there is sadness, run to the church. Run to us. Don't walk, run. If if you don't trust us, if you don't trust the leadership here, I mean mean this from the bottom of my heart, please find a place where you do that you'll run to them instead. Because this life is not meant to be lived that way. It's meant to go to those and say, no, I need help, I can't do this on my own. Please help me. Um, I think there's... uh, I think there's one more. Um, I don't need help because it's my life. Okay. It's my life. It's my thing. I don't, I don't need to do what you do. Like, it's, it's my life. It's not your life. What, 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 why, why should I? That type of idea. Kind of this maybe prideful arrogance a little bit to it. I'm not trying to, yeah, I'm trying to call you out a little bit. Um, it's not your life. The Bible's clear about that too. Jesus says, listen, or Paul tells us, right, that Jesus purchased your life with his life. He says, your life is not your own. You were bought at a price. God owns us. And we zoom in on this scripture, and it tells us, listen, when you suffer, we all suffer. And when you rejoice, we all rejoice. Okay, that, that, again, this is the way it's supposed to be. And so here's what I have to acknowledge in my life is, I man. I, I do such, I, I think, an amazing job of just making everyone around me just think that, like, no, I'm good. I don't need help, and I'm fine, and I don't want to burden you. Uh, and, and, and when I say those things, you're saying like, I'm, I'm removing the opportunity for those in my life, all of y'all included, to be the church. I rob you of the gift and the opportunity to be the people of God when I say, I don't want to burden you. Now, is there some wisdom in that sometimes? Yeah, probably. But not that often. You see, when we, when we say, like, no, I, I need you, it's not just a benefit for you. Literally, it allows the church to be the church, it forces the church to be the church. So that when you're suffering, we can suffer with you. We can weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice. That's who the people of God are supposed to be. So you can ask for help. So this whole thing, you belong, you can ask for help. Let's read Mary's line one more time. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring, forever. God is faithful to us, y'all. Like like, unabashedly, unequivocally, absolutely faithful to His people. He is here for our good. He is here for our help. He is here to grant and give joy. You have to hear me. Like, you belong to God. You were purchased by him at the cross. Church, that's who you are. You are a son, you are a daughter, adopted in by God. You're a citizen of the kingdom that he rules over. That's who you are. Is there anything worth singing and praising more than that? But if we have these lies built up that you don't belong because of these reasons, then why sing? Because you see the words on the screen, and say, well, how could that be true for me? It's true for you, it's true for you, it's true for you because of Jesus. Because a little baby was born 2,000 and something years ago in a manger. No room at the inn, right? Because it's Christmas. Everything was booked. <laughs> you know I debated even using that. I shouldn't have used it. It wouldn't funny. <laughs> God left heaven. He left perfection. He left the perfect vision for community that you might be brought into it. That's crazy. Why do we rejoice this season? Why why when the band gets back up here, should it just be like, should we just sing? Why was it in that first week I said like I would love if y'all just started walking out the doors and just started singing hymns in the middle of the streets? It's because God left heaven to come here to live and die and be raised that we might experience what he's lived in for eternity. Love, peace, hope, joy. And it's manifested in each other. Church, I, so long as we move into 2020, I know we've got Christmas Eve service and we've got one service left next Sunday. Um, I truly sense, I, like, I, I truly sense that God is forming something insanely beautiful and awesome here. Like, and it gets me so excited about next year, and about ministry to this city. But I constantly want to push us against the lies and the idols that would seek to take away some of that formation, that would seek to draw us in, but seek to push us apart. Because we are probably headed for a tumultuous 2020, like we did in 2016. Where people in our churches found themselves fighting and, and yelling at one another. Hands yelling at feet, I don't need you. Hands yelling at feet, you're not important. Hands yelling at feet, your role, your beliefs, your thoughts not valid. I'm not saying the conversations shouldn't exist. I'm just saying this here is who we are. Okay? And because that's who we are, we sing. So if you're in this season, you're thinking, well, how will I get through whatever it may be? My hope is that as we sing these songs and as we respond to God, that you would look around the room and see the faithfulness of God in your life in the people that God has called you to be with. Anthony has signs that he put up here at the top of the things. And, and if you notice the verbiage, it's it says like, hey... We're, we, we believe we're a family, and families sit together, so please don't sit in the roped-off sections, right? Um, he wanted to say something else, I'm pretty sure, but... Uh, <laughs> no, he says that stuff because it's just true. Like we have the opportunity to live in community and family. Belonging to a God as our King and Father. And if all of that is true, man, like... Let's be a people of joy. Let's be a people of singing, a people of rejoicing, and then a people that very quick look to the people that maybe hear me. You don't even know that well, but you know that they, they're they part of your family, and you ask them for help this season if you need it. And we're here for you. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. and God, I... Uh, Lord, I think of many people, not just in our city, but in our world, potentially and probably surely in this room, God, that would, would think they don't belong here or that God couldn't invite them in or God doesn't love them or God doesn't see them. God, maybe we're asking the question of where you are and because they can't see you or know you're there, that, that just means they don't belong. God, whatever the... The pathways towards that thought, Lord, I pray for your presence to be so tangible and real for us today. God that we would just know. <laughs> we just know like we're yours. We'd be able to reflect on your faithfulness to us. God as individuals, as, as a family. God that we'd be a faithful people to just look and, and say, like, "Yeah, no, I, I need help." And that's free to do now. There's no need to hide. There's no need, there's no need for pretense. God, what a gift and what a joyous thing that this season we get to be with family every Sunday. We get to be with people who, man, like have signed on the line, Lord, that we are committed to one another. God, that we will serve one another. We'll bless one another. We'll be present with one another. And Lord, in the moments where we do not hold up our end of love, where we have believe lies, Lord, convict us, move us to repentance, confession, and lead us in the way everlasting. Jesus, thank you that you came. We love you in Christ's name, amen.